we are live. So you don't like that picture of me, huh? Hello, <laughs> welcome to Laughing, Loving, and Alive. I am your host, Melted Ice Cream. Hello, welcome to Laughing, Loving, and Alive. We have now heard from Melted Ice Cream uh, with a side of sour. <laughs> Do you hear that monotone? And I am Dr. Kevin. I am also today here as Rain Thomas. <laughs> yes, we're having technical issues with Rain as again. Again. I don't know. She's got to move out of that hick town of hers that doesn't have good internet. She's got to move to some. Oh, you muted yourself, Kevin. Yeah. Uh, it says your mic isn't connected. Oh, the joys. Are we still in Mercury Retrograde? <laughs> I still can't hear you. Can't hear anything. It says you have, your mic's not connected. Can you turn off your AirPods? See if you can do it straight through the computer. <laughs> We're not hearing anything. Nothing. Can you did you turn off your earpods? Disconnect those. Or and you can also choose your mic. If you go down to the cam mic, um, down at the bottom, there is a little gear. If you try that, there we go. Okay, what happened? I don't know what happened. All right. I have no idea what happened. There's more technical issues to start to show, <laughs> and what rain. Rain came back, but <laughs> and I am Rain Thomas. <laughs> Are you back, Miss Rain? I don't think so. So, Mister Elmer said that the link is corrupt. Well, oh look! Is... <laughs> Rain Thomas. <laughs> Can you hear me? Yep. Yep. Okay, good. Yes, prunes. Are you eating them as we speak? Yep. I yummy. I should go get my bag, but then we need somebody to stay on the show by the time it's over. <laughs> there we go. So, Ray, well, we have you here. We are closing. Yes. Up. Month. It is within hand's reach that we're pushing you out that damn door. How has it been? It has been construction zone, <laughs> but that's a whole different story. But it's been good and fun and healthy. And I started running again, which makes me think of you, Dr. Kevin. Here I come. Here I come. Don't tell me. My brain's ready. Did you hear me? God! We do. 
There's just a delay, a serious delay with you. Of course, that's the story of my life. <laughs> I wasn't gonna go there. I'm gonna pop. I'm gonna pop on. I'm gonna pop on Facebook too because you're gonna like talking to Burke. He is awesome. It's because of him that I get to play some epic roles. Okay. So, Mr. Almer, you just joined us back. So, Dr. Kevin. Hmm? <laughs> yeah, she's gone. <laughs> so, Almer. I can, can you hear you guys, too. We hear you in a delay, but. It's a huge delay. It's a huge delay. It's a delay that's almost as big as Almer's ego since all those things started coming in for his movie. <laughs> so are you going to ask a question? She'll laugh. She'll laugh in a minute. She'll catch up. Right. 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 <laughs> catches it. <laughs> there it goes. There it is. <laughs> <laughs> so tell me, what is tonight's forecast? Delayed rain. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, guys, hold on. We're going to get through this. It might not be this week. It might not be in two weeks when we're back. But we're going to bring you a steady stream of rain one of these days. <laughs> um, and speaking of rain, lack thereof, and frying any part of you exposed, how was Phoenix? Uh, it was good. It was fun. Um, went to, uh, saw you know a bunch of friends and uh, went to a water park twice. Um, but yeah, it was a it was a relaxing trip. Ooh, there she goes. Yep. How about you? How has your last two weeks been? Well, after two years of teaching a uh, master tarot course, today was my last day of teaching. So I actually a little over two years because we took a little time off for the pandemic. So, you know, I've been doing this master tarot class. So it's nine hours. It's supposed to be nine hours once a month. And it was originally going to be 18 months. And then it ended up getting expanded because of, of stuff. And it's, these, these master classes of mine are small, as you know. So we're only talking three or four people because we get really deep into it and apply stuff. And I have such a different take on tarot than a lot of people do. Um, because a lot of tarot does not make sense when you put it in the place of where it came from. What you see is you see the bigotry of the era in which tarot was reborn. And it really messed with some of the presentations. Uh, what we're taking on as tarot today is, uh, you know, has a lot more built in prejudice and misogyny and things like this then your original tarot, which was an esoteric spiritual journey of opening yourself up to intuitive guidance and, you know, to connect with ancient symbols and stuff like this. And so um, every, every person in my master tarot class had some from a little to decades of experience with tarot. And even after that, there was stuff we were bringing in and they were going, I never thought about that, that it's so logical, or that makes so much sense, or you're right. I just always was like, that doesn't feel right. But I mean, that, but that's what, that's what it says. And so I gave permission for people to challenge what I consider a false authority on Tarot, which is the Tarot we got handed at the end of the, 19, of the 1800s through decks like Rider Waite and Thoth. So, anyways, so today was that la today was the last class. I mean, we uh, put in a lot of hours, and today we finished up, and it was a nice celebration and it's a nice completion. And I start another astrology through self mastery class in the fall. And as you know, I have been doing this while creating my own tarot deck to have a representation of kind of what I discovered when I did this deep dive into Tarot, you know, and I've been doing Tarot since the late 70s. So 
you know, I bring a lot of things in from a combination of my own spiritual connections as well as my historic history with the Tarot and owning over 50 decks and really looking and diving in. So that's all good. The app continues to move forward. I'm hoping we're going to have a release date in August, though I can't guarantee it. I've been getting invited on more platforms to, to talk. I was interviewed. Uh, I've been interviewed a couple more times. I was actually, I don't think this had happened last time I was on. The days and weeks all fly in. But I was asked to be a speaker at an international um, Zoom conference type thing on ADD, ADHD that was bringing in some of the top experts in, in the field and the guy got introduced to me and my work and he went crazy for it and he created a slot for me to come in and you know do talk about ADD as a gift and you know that ADD as you know part of the evolutionary process broadening the bandwidth of humanity not a disease not a disability you know, challenging the concept that 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 um, we have to medicate or, you know. So all of these things near and dear to my heart. So I've been doing a lot of near and dear things. I'm upsetting a lot of apple carts. Um, you know, we a lot of people were involved in that conference and people are still having access to listen to what I had to say. I got a, I got a few people's people got you know um, knots in their shorts, so to speak, over some of what I said because I, you know, I asked the question. So why do you need to be disabled? I, I'm presenting your perspective that's talking about it as a non-disability, and you're pushing back, clinging to your disability as if that is your definer. So is it about the ADD or is it about your need to be disabled? So as usual. Big old stick, stern for all I'm worth, and hopefully creating positive change in the world. Uh, so, you know, good, exciting times. We had our first tomato out of the garden today, freshly picked, cut in half, and Jeff and I tried it. It was delicious. It was meaty. It's like what a tomato should taste like. <laughs> so by the time you come down to visit us next weekend, I think we'll have a few more ripe tomatoes and... I don't know. We may have some other stuff that we can pick out of the garden. So overall, pretty good. I don't think we're going to get rain back. So probably if we want to bring the next guest in. She's on Facebook. She's been uh, chiming in. I've just been uh, holding off um, while you went over everything that's happened. But so rain says I'm here and pre-warned Burke and uh, asked, are they fun? Uh, she laughed at excited about, I think your app. Um, laughing at something. Okay. Saying yay. I can, so she's here. She's here. She's here. Good. I now can see private chat and comments. I couldn't see it before. I don't know why on my screen, okay. but I'm seeing them now. So, right. talking about things to be excited about and bringing change into the world, you can have the best idea. You can have the best product, you can have the best solution, you can have the biggest heart, you can blow everyone's socks off, and if you can't get the message out to the world, nobody knows. Nobody knows. Yep. And one of the key ways that you get this message out to the world, and I tell this to entrepreneurs all the time, because, Elmer, as you know, I taught for over a decade at a, uh, an entrepreneurial boot camp, uh, uh, an MBA-level boot camp for entrepreneurs. And, you know, it, no matter how good you are, it's no good if you don't get it out. And one of those ways that you get it out isn't just standing there saying, hey, you, you're wonderful in the mirror. you got to do some marketing. Uh, tonight's guest is one that Rain has had a long-term history with. Uh, over a decade, I think she said. I was going to have her announce it, uh, but since she's having some difficulty, I'm going to... Uh, she said, uh, like, nobody knows how non-existent my Wi-Fi is. And thanks to Mark, I've had exposure. Go ahead. Yeah. <laughs> Go ahead. 
Um, yep, she, she's excited for Burke, so I'm going to bring him on now. Yeah, uh, so we're we'll bringing some... in Mr. Marketing, Burke Allen. <laughs> Burke, yay! Have a point. <laughs> I like that. Thank you. My, my tens of, of uh, followers are here tonight, so we appreciate that. Thank you all very much for having me. Oops, one list left. It's down to nine. Sorry, we can't see the end of There's just there's too much power in this this presentation. That's why Rain can't chime in. That's <laughs> okay, so big time talker Burke Allen, Mister Marketer, Mister Marketing. So is this something that you've been? called is this something that you've adopted as how you present yourself somebody else call you that or is this rain being rain mr marketing <laughs> so um the big time talker thing comes from my background in broadcasting so i uh i grew up in a small town in southern west virginia and uh most of the kids there were predestined to go into the coal mines and from a very young age, my parents did not see that in my future. Um, and, and thank God for them. And thank God, by the way, I should say thank God for the miners who kept the lights on in this country for years and years and years, you know, uh, irregardless of, of your thoughts on, on that industry. There's some pretty hardworking, courageous folks. It just wasn't for me. Um, and so at the age of 14, I got my first job at the local radio station as an on-air personality. and. Um, have been in and around broadcasting entertainment my whole life. And, uh, and so thus the big time talker, uh, and, uh, you know, it, it has morphed into me now helping other people figure out how to get free publicity for themselves and their businesses and, uh, their subject or their book or their movie or their television show, um, through earned media which, you know, when you see somebody who's interviewed on, on TV, you tend to think that, that somebody just put a microphone in their face. But generally, almost all of those folks who are subject matter experts have somebody like me behind them, helping them get those free TV interviews, radio interviews, and uh, get into the newspaper and on podcasts like this one. And I don't know I, if you can see, Rain had a, posted a comment I put up that he, she says that you're being modest. <laughs> Ah. Well, she's very kind. Rain, uh, Rain and I first worked together, as she said, about 10 years ago. She uh, is a great actress and has performed at Theater West Virginia, which is the biggest outdoor drama in this beautiful 1260 seat outdoor amphitheater back in West Virginia, my home state. And, and that's where I first met her. And uh, She's broken down a lot of barriers back there and has done some pretty great work. Um, but, it, you know, it's it's one of those things where, guys, I, I'm a big believer when it comes to marketing and media and public relations that we teach people how to put their best foot forward. So I never have our clients try to be something they're not. I never have them pretend to uh, have knowledge they don't. Uh, so basically, we just uh, we show them how to put their best foot forward. And, and like the old song goes, accentuate the positive. And that's what we do. And I guess the second best thing that we do, the part that's the most fun for me, is really being a connector. And I love to connect great people and, and help introduce one to another. You can't overstate how important that is uh, in success, is, is meeting other like-minded individuals to help you uh, uh, achieve your own goals and, and help other people do the same. So you're talking to myself and, and Elmer, there was a time, once upon a time, before Elmer became famous and snooty, that he used to actually work for me. Uh, and um, I, I've had a few different PR firms through the years that have gotten me on TV and radio and all of these things, uh, mostly about my ADD, ADHD books. But also early on, I booked interviews on my spiritual books or stuff like this. And so there's definitely a gig. And I see the difference between the marketing for the PR firms. I always call them PR firms. Right. Um, but um, that really got me into big places, you know, got me on bigger stages or got me in bigger affiliates or bigger 
uh, TV or radio shows versus the ones that, um, you know, got me on grandma and grandpa's podcast on out of their basement when podcasts were still unknown. Uh, so it, it is an interesting, I mean, it is an interesting journey to get people out. And I'm a big fan of PR and marketing when I have something to promote. I mean, it's your job to, to make me look good. And it, trust me, it's not always an easy job. Uh, <laughs> Well, you know what they say about polishing things. <laughs> yeah, just make sure you don't rub me the wrong way. That's uh, right. <laughs> but I do want to go back on another comment you said. Sure. Because I want to say this very clearly. The early time, there are many earlier times in this country where this country would not be where it is today if it wasn't on the back of miners in West Virginia, on people that were working the oil fields in Texas. And I would never allow anybody to disparage the important part that they have played in our history. And they're hard workers and they put their own physical lives at danger, their health at risk were rarely ever compensated for what they were asked to put in comparatively and oftentimes were situationally taken advantage of. That's right. I'm a big believer that the time of coal and oil is coming to a close as it should and it is being replaced with other things, but that never ever makes a miner or an oil man or the, the farmers that especially were doing the original early farming and, and were struggling, and the people that were laying those tracks for the railroads, they were part of the backbone of this nation. And now keeping the oil and the mining, and that is it's political football. It's so big companies and big people oftentimes can take money, make money, and they still screw over the little guy. They still don't value them. And the fact that they come in and say, no, 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 we have to save these jobs. No, we have to give these people the jobs that they can step up to and move forward in. So I just wanted to mention that because when you said that, I think that sometimes people in confusing the fact that you may say the time of oil and coal is coming to, a, to, to, to pass, when people say that, that they demonize the oil workers, they demonize the coal miners. And that's so unfair because we just wouldn't be the country we are today if those hardworking, oftentimes took an advantage people were not supported, did not support us. Well, I appreciate that. Thanks, Dr. Kevin. And, and I'll tell you, growing up back there, um, you know, that was the industry and all things uh, took a secondary spot to the coal industry. You know, that's what supported the local retailers and the mom and pop shops for many, many years. And uh, and Rain has gotten an opportunity to, to sort of learn about that and be around that uh, from her time at Theater West Virginia. It's, um, it's very humbling to grow up around people, uh, Elmer and Dr. Kevin, who will give you the shirt off their back, even if they don't have a shirt to give. And that's who those people are. Um, and so uh, I'll give you an example. One of the the public relations opportunities I had the great fortune to, to work with was this great movie uh, that's on Netflix now uh, that debuted in 2019 called Mine Nine, Mine and the Number Nine. And it's about nine miners who get trapped underground. And as we went around the country and premiered that movie, there were lots of folks who said, gosh, I can't imagine, why would those people ever want to do that job? Well, in many places, that is the good paying job. That's the job that allows your kids to go on to college and have a better and different life. So I appreciate that and, and hats off, uh, helmets off to all the miners, and the oil workers, the farmers, and as you said, the folks that, that made this country what it is. I appreciate you acknowledging that. There were tons of those groups and we're not gonna acknowledge them all, but often they get dismissed. And, you know, we throw these people away well, we support the people that made all the money off of them to get away with murder. Well, we throw away the miners. We throw away veterans all the time. 
that right. fight for us. We throw away all of these, like they're disposable. And it just really, it gets my goat. So anyways, moving on. Did you get your love of talk, your, your wit, which I'm sure you had to have to be successful, your way of putting things? Was it more from your mother or your father? So I'm going to share something with you that, that most people don't know. Um, because my job is to be sort of the Wizard of Oz. I'm the, the man behind the curtain. So I have New York Times bestselling authors and actors and actresses and television personalities and musicians, entertainers that are my clients. And I'm, I'm the guy behind the scenes to help show them in the best possible light. I, it's very unusual for me to talk about me. Um, and having said that, one of the reasons I think I've, I've had what success I have had in, in my industry is that I learned uh, the art of patience from both of my parents. And that's because Dr. Kevin and Elmer and Rain, I was raised in a very unique way. In that little coal mining town in Southern West Virginia, I was raised uh, by a mom and a dad who were both confined to wheelchairs. And I'm an only child. And this was in the 60s and 70s, uh, early 80s, uh, before the Americans with Disabilities Act really took place, that, that those two amazing individuals brought up a kid in a hard scrabble little Appalachian coal mining town. And, uh, and so if, if this were uh, one of those game shows, you know, what's my line or uh, can you tell me a secret? That's the secret. The secret to my success is the inspiration I got from both those folks who, uh, the older I get, the more I'm amazed by what they're able to pull off. Now, you brought it up. I'm going to ask the question, but you can change. You can choose to not want to go down this road. May I ask, what was the situation that led them to wheelchairs? Were they sure. Was it a birth issue or was it something that happened? So they have an amazing story. And, and, you know, I've got several of my author clients who said, look, one day you need to write the book of, of your parents, you know, the ones that I've, I've shared this with. And um, they had separate stories. So Dr. Kevin and, and Elmer, my, uh, my mom was born in 1934 in the, in the middle of the Great Depression. And the polio uh, virus was sweeping across America. And so as an infant at five and a half months old, polio swept into that little town in the, in the coal fields and she never walked. She, she walked a little bit with braces as a, a young child and she had 34 surgeries uh, and none of them made it better. They only made it worse. So by the time she was 12, uh, the braces were off. She spent her, her first year of school in an iron lung from the neck down. That's how she... Uh, you know, learned how to read in that iron lung. She was the, and I didn't find this out until she passed away and, and opened a cedar chest. And there were all these magazine articles from around the country. Turns out my mom, who never talked about it, was the first uh, handicapped individual to graduate from public school in the state of West Virginia. And so there were all these dozens of letters that were sent to her uh, and articles in Life magazine and Look magazine from the 1950s about that. Well, about 12 miles away, there was a young uh, Italian-American kid, my dad, who was born in 1928, and he grew up on his feet. As a matter of fact, he was a Golden Gloves boxer uh, through high school. He got permission to leave high school at age 16 because there was a war on, World War II, and he enlisted in the Navy with his parents' permission. Uh, again, in the middle of the Great Depression, uh, they were happy to have one less kid to feed out of the garden. So he went into the Navy, spent seven years serving his country through the end of World War II, the beginning of Korea. And when he was discharged after traveling all over the world, he came back to that town. There was no work. And he had a job offer in Canton, Ohio, to work in the automotive industry. And two days before he left, he was in a car accident, an automobile accident, went through the windshield, rolled down the highway. And when he woke up in the hospital two days later, his father was standing over his bed, my grandfather, and he said, Dad, I, I can't feel my legs. He became a paraplegic, and he spent the next four years, 1953 to the end of 1956, in a veteran's hospital, 
uh, learning everything all over again. He got his GED uh, while he was in the hospital. He got his college diploma. Uh, he had to learn a whole new career. He was a machinist. So he took a correspondence course from the Chicago School of Watchmaking, learned how to repair watches. And then one night at a high school football game in 1957, after he got out of the hospital, the two of them were seated beside each other on the, uh, on the 50 yard line down beside the field because they couldn't get up into the stands and they met, fell in love and uh, that's how it all started. So mom with polio and dad was a disabled vet who was paraplegic. Okay. Well, that is a beautiful story and definitely one that should be told and to I mean, inspire, to motivate. Go ahead, Alma. Alma and, wants to direct it. And Rain agrees. She says, I absolutely agree about the, you telling that story. It's an incredible story. And she also said that uh, when you're talking about who you, you know, taking on as client, she says, all except me, Burke won't take me on as a client. <laughs> so, so why won't you take Rain on as a client? That was my next question. You put me on the spot here. Hmm. You know, absolutely. I, I, uh, we, we love doing that. Go ahead. I would love to, to represent rain. You know, one of my issues that I run into is the number of hours in the day and as calm as things look right now at, you know, 1030 East coast time on a Sunday night. Um, I was able to slide in here about three minutes before the show from running and going and doing all day. So if there's one thing that, that I could learn how to do a better job at, it's the work-life balance. I have a, a wonderful son, a 16-year-old son that I love to spend time with, uh, and I'm forever just trying to shoehorn in as much as I can do each day. Because one of the things, Dr. Kevin, you know, as somebody who's worked with public relations firms, is if you do it right, there's no real way to, to sort of McDonald's that, that whole thing. Every client has an individual pitch. Every client has uh, you know individual media outlets that they need to go to. And so... I, I have sort of a cap of the number of people that I can work with if I want to be able to, to squeeze things into my life, like sleeping and eating. Oh, minor details. Bert, <laughs> what's your problem? <laughs> sleeping? You slacker. Who eating? needs it? Look at those Italian cheeks. You don't need to eat. <laughs> Who needs um, it? Yeah, so, so the question is, is she on your waiting list? Can you tell uh, us somebody that Almer and I can bump off so we can get Rain a spot? That's right. <laughs> hey, look, I'm happy to send Rain the opportunities whenever I see him. And she's great, by the way. Rain, let me, let me tell you a little story about Rain Thomas. One of my clients is a New York Times number one best-selling author, a gentleman named Homer Hickam. And some of your viewers uh, may have seen the movie October Sky, and Jake Gyllenhaal played Homer Hickam in that movie. It was a story of Homer his life uh, as, a, as a young man who grew up and he wanted to get into the space race and they set off rockets and Homer eventually had a very long successful career with NASA. Um, that, that movie was inspired by his book Rocket Boys which now is the most read book in American public schools. Um, it's also the movie that I think every substitute science teacher in America wheels in on the TV and shows when they have nothing else to do. Um, so eventually that story, guys, got so popular that it was made into a musical bound for Broadway. And a Broadway team did a, a wonderful score and wrote these original songs to, to key in with, with Homer's story. And, uh, and October Sky, the musical, had uh, viewings in Atlanta and uh, a table read in New York City and in Huntsville, Alabama, Rocket City, USA, and also there at Theater West Virginia. And Rain Thomas was chosen to play Homer Hickam's mother in that show. Now, Homer was all for it, which is fantastic. He's an older guy in his late 70s. He thought she was great. And I don't think Homer ever noticed, nor did the audience after about 60 seconds, that there was a pigmentation differentiation between Rain Thomas and the Hickam family. She just knocked it out of the park playing his mom. She sings great. She obviously has lots of gumption and lots of, uh, uh, you know, acting chops. But to be able to step into that role and play this feisty, fiery, determined, uh, you know, woman of the, the 1950s who was way ahead of her time, she just killed it. So 
I was that that was uh, one of the times when I saw Rain Thomas in a whole different light, and I think a whole lot of other people did too. So she went on and basically played Rain Thomas. <laughs> Rain Thomas in a big way. I I always thought that Rain was shy and retiring off the stage. Am I wrong on that, guys? <laughs> well, somebody's taking you for a ride. <laughs> How much did that ticket cost you? <laughs> so. Uh, Rain didn't want to know, so who do I need to eliminate? But, you know, we've already taken care of that. We'll eliminate it for them. So where do I find this Oakum Hokum? Uh, oh, sorry. Uh, uh, I think there's a crime for that. If, if, Rain, if, if Rain gets rid of him, I think, I think there's a – what is it called when a mother kills a son? I, there's, a, there's a term for it. Uh, Bad news. <laughs> only if you get caught uh but anyway so you're telling me you have a full lit of clients yeah yeah we we actually i'm very blessed and i'm very honored and uh frankly i'm very lucky and i never take it for granted uh gentlemen that uh, when i look back on where i came from those modest beginnings that that there are, you know, more people knocking on the door than there's slots to, uh, to let them in, and that's never lost on me, um, because you know, were it not for a great example from a pretty incredible mom and dad, who showed me that you can do anything, uh, no matter what your limitations, your physical, your economic limitations, and uh, and for the the great fortune of that little microphone that I discovered when I was 14, uh, things could have gone a whole different route. I could have been one of those guys with a coal miner's helmet on. So I feel very lucky in that. And, and Dr. Kevin, I want to ask you a question. You mentioned your work with folks uh, in, in overcoming a different kind of disability. Is the 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 challenge that, that those folks with uh, ADHD um, that, that they face, is there, a, is there a societal stigma there like there was for folks in wheelchairs back in the the 1950s, 60s, and 70s, because, I, you know, I, I will tell you, my mom worked for 30 years as the police clerk in that city uh, from 1960 to 1990. My dad completely remade his whole career as a, a watch and clap repairman back in those days. And yet there were things they couldn't do. They had to develop workarounds. You know, they yeah. if, if we went on vacation, uh, it had to be to a place where the doors were wide enough to get into a hotel room. Um, and before me, when they would go on vacation, they would go, uh, if they wanted to go to the beach, they would drive all the way from West Virginia to Daytona Beach, Florida, because you could drive out on the sand. Um, and, you know, there were stories about people just looking right over them and, and disregarding them and maybe, maybe giving them short shift because of their, their handicap. They never let it stand in their way. But I wonder if, if things improved in 2021 than, than what they dealt with in the 50s, 60s, and 70s. So there's a there's a couple of different answers there. One is I um, I'm not using euthanisms or I'm not trying to sugarcoat something. When I say and have been saying because I've been working with ADD and ADHD since the late 90s. My first book came out in 2000, 21 years ago, and I do not see it as a disability. I coined a phrase back then in in, in uh, back in 2000, diffability. They learn and process information differently, but they are not less able. It is a matter of the support systems and the idea that an ADD person can't focus or is unreliable because they can't focus or won't stay with it or never finishes stuff. There's a lot of mythology about that. Somebody that is in a wheelchair has is, is less able to do certain things, does not have to be disabled in life, which your parents taught you. Right, that's right. They just have to work and think outside the box and oftentimes advocate for themselves. In the, in the period that your, a, that your parents were in wheelchairs, even though we had had a president in a wheelchair, a very successful president in a wheelchair, FDR, who had polio. Right. Okay. 
um, people still would see people in wheelchairs and immediately think that they weren't as bright or they didn't have as much going on. Like they would make it like a handicap as if their whole life was handicapped because of that. And that's very different because with ADD, it is a lack of understanding of how to present the information. So would you call somebody handicapped if, you know, if your son, if your 16 year old son was suddenly transported to the middle of rural China, is he handicapped or does he have a handicap that he doesn't speak the language? Two different things. Right. So, yeah. So from that standpoint, as far as you go, one of the problems is there was uh, a shift. Of course, we used to hide handicapped people in the sure. Victorian and the early 20s, 30s. People Even FDR, they people. kept it under wraps. Yep. They kept, they, they kept the blanket on the chair to hide the wheels and everything else. I mean, stuff like this. But also, you know, they would be locked in attics, locked in basements. They would disappear. I mean, there is a horrendous history. And I used to work with people that that I had a time period in the 80s where I worked with people that had mental and emotional and physical handicaps. And I would see again and again, somebody would have a physical handicap and would be treated like an idiot. Somebody would have an emotional handicap and, be treated, and, it, and it was it was just it would it would drive me crazy. But there is also a time in which social systems, social service systems, which were needed to a point, went to the place where a lot of times they disabled the person by how they treated them. Right. Instead of getting them to step up. Your parents are the perfect example of the workaround of, okay, I'm in a wheelchair. And your point? Give me wider doors. Give me a beach I can drive on. Get me a job. I'm never going to have a job as, as a wallpaper hanger. I'm not going to paint your ceiling. I can still go over to the file cabinet. I can still greet people. I can still organize the shit out of your office. I can do a ton of great things. But no, I can't paint your ceiling. Like, what's your point? You wouldn't want me to paint your ceiling anyways. It would look like a disaster. Go find somebody who paints ceilings. So a very different mentality. But a lot of times... If I'm working with people with ADD or ADHD now, I, I will help parents determine what is something that needs to be understood, how they need to hear it, or how they need to get the information so they get it because they're brilliant, they're creative, they think outside the box, they have wonderful solutions. It truly is a gift. I mean, all my early books are called Managing the Gift. It really is a gift. Um, and what is it that they have been taught how to manipulate and play the system by playing their disability to not do what they don't want to do. And so you see this sometimes that there's a whole sub with people with disabilities that can say, well, I could do it, but why should I bother? I look at people and go, oh, could you do that? And they go, oh, yeah, your handicap will do it. No, do it your friggin' self. You can not. I, I didn't come in here to wait on your hand and foot. I came in here with things you absolutely couldn't do. I don't know if I overanswered your question, but that's kind of. But there is a stigma, and the answer is yes. That there is a lot of misnomer, a lot of myths, and a lot of misinformation that is represented. Studies that were underwritten by pharmaceutical companies that cherry pick what they told you out of them and misrepresent what's actually going on. You're telling me something happened, but then you're making an assumption that is not correct. Their brain scan is different, okay? That does not mean that they're less able. It means that they're thinking differently. It doesn't mean that they have a disability. It means that their brains are functioning differently. And you don't know what the hell that means because understanding brain functions is so new, you're talking out of your ass to make that assumption. But if that assumption is gonna get you some credit with the pharmaceutical company that underwrote your study, and you're gonna be able to do make our kids laboratory rats and cash cows, you're all over it. Yeah, that's what that means. So there's a lot of like really bad thinking. There's a lot of assumptions and there's been big piles of shit that have been sold on this and bought by lazy school systems, sometimes lazy parents, um, 
and definitely by very bright kids that can figure out how to manipulate the system to not do things that they want to do. And I just call, I call bullshit when I see it. So back to you. Rain said, preach, preach. You should have warned him. He didn't want to ask me that question. Testify. <laughs> Testify. What you is know, the- as a, uh, as a kid growing up in that environment, though, you know, you look back on it and uh, you take away an awful lot of lessons. And, you know, I talked about taking away the, the lesson of patience because those two individuals, my mom and dad, asked very little of other people. They tried to figure out how to do things on their own. And they did. It just took them longer. So, for example, any of the four of us could go and hop in the car and head out. Well, those two drove, and my dad actually built hand controls for the car so that you could steer with one hand. The other hand, you had like a, a motorcycle grip for the gas, and then you would push in for the brake. Mm -hmm. uh, and he taught her, uh, my mom, how to drive with, with those hand controls. They drove uh, everywhere. But it took a good 10 minutes to get up the ramp. They had a carport built over the car so that if there was rain, if there was snow, they could get in the car without you know, getting destroyed. And, and then they would transfer themselves in and then off they would go after they then reached behind them and pulled the wheelchair in the back so they would have it when they got to the other end. So as a, a kid, I'm ready to go. I just want to go where I'm going. But you learn patience and perseverance. What a great lesson. And you learn something else. They are living proof of the saying, um, necessity is the mother of invention. Oh, sure. They taught you good critical thinking skills. Without meaning to. You know, you, you pick it up by osmosis. Um, guys, they had, you know, back then, most uh, washing machines and dryers were top loaders. So, Elmer, you probably remember washing machines had, you know, the lids on the top. No problem, unless, of course, you're in a wheelchair and you can't get down and reach into the washing machine. So my dad built a two long, uh, two foot long uh, grip with a trigger to go down and in and get the clothes out of the washer and put them over into the dryer. And they if he had that, you'd never have to work again because yeah. they're sold everywhere. That's right. That's right. But, you know, <laughs> he should have patented is, it. Come on, yeah, Dad. Yeah, that, yeah, really. Um, we have another comment. The West Virginia Department of Tourism said they are loving this on YouTube. Oh. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, so, but when I say they taught you good critical thinking skills, they they also taught you to approach everything with what's the solution. Right. And we need that so much more today. We need that. I, you know, I think you see less and less of that of. So what's the solution? We did well, did it work? No. So keep going. So what's the solution? No, keep going. So what's the solution? If you want it bad enough, there's a solution. And you are the architect of the solution. So they role modeled and instilled in you so much that makes you so successful today because of all of those things. I mean, patience is part of it, but the skill set, the problem, all of that is you know, what um, I think. As we look, you know, I, I travel quite a bit for work and have begun to travel again more in the last 60 days. And I see all of these help wanted signs everywhere. They have a tough time filling uh, retail service positions. And, and I think back to my mom and dad who, you know, both worked and re-engineered uh, a way to make themselves uh, tough to get rid of. I, when, I, when I used to coach radio intelligent personalities, I told them I wanted them to be dangerous air personalities. And I said, well, what does that mean? Make it dangerous for them to fire you because your audience is so big, you have so many advertisers, they'll never let you go. My mom and dad figured out how to become dangerous on their own. Uh, my mom, for example, as the police clerk at this, this police station, well, in those days, 1960s and 70s, guys, she was the only one that knew how to type in the police department, including the chief. So every warrant that came through, every document, she knew how to type. She knew shorthand. So it would have been dangerous for them to let her go. I can't tell you how many times on 
a Saturday morning or you know a Thursday evening, I would see a police car roll up into our our uh, neighborhood, and the guys would come out very sheepishly and say, "I, you know, uh, Ms. Adkins, I need you to help me do this, that, and that." My dad became the town watch repairman and clock repairman. So the the wealthy elderly ladies that had the the old grandfather clocks, he was the one guy in that town that, that knew how to do that. And so if you can find a unique skill set, you're going to always have, uh, you know, gainful employment. And that's something those two did and, and taught me as well. So, yeah, it's a, it's a life of lessons for sure. You make yourself irreplaceable. Or at least in their eyes, irreplaceable. That's exactly so, right. Now, where do you live now? So I am, uh, I am in Washington, D.C., right outside D.C. in Northern Virginia. And, uh, and I try to duck and cover as much as I can here and stay away from all the hot air that emanates from Pennsylvania Avenue, uh, no matter what side of the aisle you're on. Yep, yep. There's, there's more death gas coming out of that city. <laughs> um, anyways, well, I, I, I look because the West, West Virginia Department of Tourism said that they're loving this on YouTube. Um, I actually used to go and do uh, teach some classes and see clients and used to hang out in Berkeley Springs, West Virginia. That's right. George Washington took a bath in Berkeley, uh, Berkeley Springs. The, the original name of that town is Bath, West Virginia. That's right. Yep. And I've, I've canoed on that river and I've spent time hiking and being part of that community. I used to go there two or three times a year and see clients and do classes and do stuff and you know beautiful 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 area and you know the people that used to bring me in moved on and went to other places and i so i haven't been back in years but yeah i mean i loved going to west virginia just just to be there just to like just be in that energy Look, the, the people there are truly salt of the earth. They're great. And by the way, and, and, and we'll throw this out for our friends at the Department of Tourism back home, uh, the country's newest national park is right there, the New River Gorge National Park and Preserve, uh, just became a national park this year. And, and as we come out from behind pandemic, uh, I understand there are lots of folks that are heading into, into the mountains to try to get away from the big cities for some whitewater rafting and skiing and those outdoor dramas. That, Theater West Virginia. So yes, indeed, a beautiful place. Absolutely. So I'm I'm going to go ahead and and put you on the spot in a in a brief in a in in uh, in our brief time we have left. You have been a coach of radio and TV personalities. Yes, sir. Of course, podcasting has a little element of both when you're doing it on the screen. Uh, I've had a radio show for 15, almost 16 years. Did a couple of TV shows that I had. So coach me, tell me what you would tell me. What have you noticed that you would go, if you were my client, I would slap you so hard if you ever did this again. I would say, Dr. Kevin, for the love of all that's holy, will you stand still? Still. Yes. <laughs> yes. Did I mention I'm an ADD poster child? <laughs> I picked up on that pretty quickly. Uh, I will tell you, Kevin, and also, Elmer, you guys need to smile more. You both have great smiles, and I don't see them enough. Good, genuine uh, smiles. Okay. Uh, the, and, and there are little things that are, are blocking and tackling that are very tactical. For example, Dr. Kevin, if you grab the top of your screen and pull it down a little bit, we're going to see more of your face and less of your nose hairs. See, that's a much better framing of you. Ooh. That's good. There we go. Exactly. And, and Elmer, if, if you had a lamp that you sat in front of your monitor, then we could see more of you. Now, perhaps you like that dark, mysterious look. And if you do, it's working for you. But I'd love to well, see more of you. Well, yeah, we, Rain and I have lights. asked him not to put the lights on him. <laughs> We're trying to... Rain also wants you to know that you're, she's going to call you when the show is over because she calls all our guests after the show and wants to know if you will be available for her to give you a quick call after the show. I am always available for a Rain Thomas call. Are you kidding me? <laughs> Anytime, 24-7. Ha, 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 nose hair. Yeah, well, tell her, yeah. Um, the, um, 
somebody who is trying to get their message out into the world, what advice would you give them? So this is a big deal. Um, and, you know, I believe that the more you give away in your, your business, your industry, whatever you know, then the more those gifts come back to you. So I don't believe in keeping trade secrets. There are no big trade secrets in what we do. The reason we're successful, it's old fashioned, you know, shoe leather and hard work. It's that work ethic I learned from those coal miners back in West Virginia as a kid. We make a lot of phone calls and we send out a lot of emails. But if you have a message that you want to get out there, the number one thing you've got to do is polish that message. You know, who are you and what are you going to be known for? Now, that doesn't mean that's the only thing you'll ever be known for. But if you think of it like a target with concentric circles, you got to have a bullseye there. So are you going to be the ADD guy, and at least in the beginning? Or, you know, what are you going to be? Are you going to be, uh, for example, I've got a, a, an author right now who's written a book about simplifying the COVID-19 puzzle. Even though that book came out towards the end of the pandemic, he's very much in demand because he talks about a way to shore up your system to keep you safe from any kind of, of disease that comes along. Uh, so I guess I would say the number one thing you've got to do is have clarity of messaging. Who are you? How can people very quickly figure out what you're all about? Many of your viewers may have heard of the elevator pitch. It's got to be all that. You know, When we send an email out to a producer at CNN or Fox News or MSNBC or the Howard Stern Show, You'll be able to hook them in that subject line that's in the email to get them to even open the email. So it's gotta be a really concise, who am I and why can I contribute to the conversation? Well, I know that when they would keep me on the point message of ADD, because as an ADD poster child, I, you know, I have like 18 books out. Only five of them are on ADD. Uh, you drift yeah. a little, would you, Dr. Kevin? Would you drift? But, yeah, when they were really doing the hard, you know, when my ADD books would come out and they would use this this hard, you know, is your child really ADD or is medication really the answer for your ADD child or something like this, I would end up with a slew of radio and, and, I, would, and I had a period of flying in and out for, like, all of these like large local area, regional, like Fox and CBS, NBC, sure. not the national, but the regional like ones to go in and be interviewed and stuff like this. And, and never so much on the other stuff, but right. I drift. I've no, driven look, everybody I, I that's, that's ever worked that's with how me it crazy. Works. And, and yeah. you were known as that person and where you want to get to eventually is to get into their virtual Rolodex, where if they think, ADD, they think, all right, Dr. Kevin is the guy. He's energetic, he's informative, his information is good, he can stay on message. Um, you know, the average morning TV interview, if you do the Today Show or Good Morning America or that local station in Wichita, it's about four minutes long. So you've got to be honest. Yeah. Yep, I have all those interviews in my PR folder that I did. Uh, it's huge. You know, I, I took Rain Thomas into a, a couple of TV stations and, and she got that right away. And and sometimes, by the way, you have really polished TV anchors uh, or radio hosts, and sometimes they're not very polished. I remember the one TV station taking Rain into it was a smaller market. And, and I swear, I think that the midday news person looked like perhaps he was in junior high school and was wearing dad's suit, right? It was his first TV job. And, and Truthfully, he was probably 22, 23 years old, right out of college. And and Rain very masterfully led that interview because he was nervous to be around her. You know, he probably hadn't done a lot of interviews. And that's a whole different opportunity where you can then guide the conversation. So I think it's it's stuff that anyone can learn. You just have to, to know the X's and the O's, the blocking and the tackling. It's very tactical. So we have less than one minute. That's actually, we just ran out of time. Um, yep. <laughs> next, I love to back lead. I call it back leading. Next. Like as a dance partner. Go ahead. Next show. Uh, we currently don't have anybody scheduled, but um, Rain is saying she will get a surprise guest. So we'll see about that. 
And uh, hold on, uh, Burke. Um, once we close out the show, we'll chat with you as well before you call Rain. Um, just got to get this going. Rain did say something about not being a client and that the again and about the power of sexy. 